0: In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Something about all of time is a John's Gospel. We're not in John's Gospel, but I'll start with John's Gospel. I think it's okay for us sometimes to kind of dip into other Gospels to help illuminate the Gospel reading for the day. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, but John's Gospel starts by telling us that the light of God has come into the world. The light has come into the world, and the darkness has not overcome. Great theological issues here of light represents God and and God's love and God's peace and God's healing, God's grace, God's mercy, God's goodness, all that is the light of the world, and that's all embodied in the mission and ministry of the person of Jesus, and he comes into the darkness of the world. And the darkness, as much as the darkness might try to fight against the light, the darkness cannot overcome it, cannot overcome it. See, when Isaiah is speaking these words of God, to the people who sit in the shadow of darkness and death, God is recognizing that there is darkness in the world. These people in Naphtali and Zebulun; those are those are the northern tribes of of the Israelite people. Those are the most northern tribes of the of the twelve tribes of the Jewish people, and they're way up on the northern region, and they have been invaded and crushed and many of their family members murdered, and others exported, exiled, and these people know what it's like to live in the shadow of death. They know what it's like. These are people who are suffering under foreign oppression. The Assyrians have come in and have destroyed them as a heathen. And the people of Judah, where where, where Isaiah is, he's he's a prophet in Jerusalem. He receives this word from God To help the people in Judah, but also it's a word to those people in Naphtali and Zebulon, to you who are suffering, to you who are suffering, to you who have experienced the worst that people can do to other people. To you, the light of Christ has come. The hope of God to the people who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. All the love, the peace. The joy, the happiness, the healing grace, the redemption of God is coming specifically for you. For you. The light comes into the world and the darkness will not overcome the light. You might remember the very first words that God speaks in Scripture. Go back to Genesis. What's the very first thing that God says? In the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the author says. We are gospel <laughs> Let there be light. Right? Let there be light. Into the nothingness. Let there be light. It is God's first command and God's first wish for creation. Let there be light. And again, theologically means everything that is good, everything that is wholesome, everything that is necessary, everything that we in creation need to be healthy and to be blessed. Let it be. Let there be light. And the prophet Isaiah reminds those suffering people of God, the ones who are on the fringe, who are so far away and oppressed by these Assyrians, the light of God is coming to you. Is coming to you. And I think about that. I think about, okay, and now now Matthew seems to pick up on that. He seems to pick up on that. Because sometimes it takes a while for that help to arrive. Sometimes it takes a while for the light to come into the darkness. And that means that some of us, you know, we pray and we ask and, and we hope and, and we pray and we ask some more and, and we still wait for that. The promise of God is that that light will come. That light will come. And it comes in Jesus many generations later. So this is, this is part of the biblical story of, of God's light in the world and, and God's promise that the light will come, that the Messiah will come, that the, that the love of God will come to us and will set us free but it's also a message not just for them at that time, not just for those who are in Zebulun and Natali. It's it's a message for us today. Because I think among us, when we think about our lives, many of our lives are touched by suffering and brokenness and woundedness, things that have been done to us and things that we have done to ourselves. And what that darkness has done to us. Our personal hurts. The brokenness and the darkness in our families. Broken relationships. Our church communities. When we we struggle to be our better selves and to treat each other with all the care and love and kindness that God would have for us. And we find it hard to express that to our brothers and sisters. The darkness in our lives, the darkness in our family systems, the darkness in our our church families, the darkness in our communities, the darkness in our world, the fighting that we see among the people of God when we can't agree what the right thing to do is or how to get there. There's an awful lot of darkness, even in our times, a lot of human suffering. And it is the promise of God that God knows that, that God knows that. Years ago, um, there were these two um, younger people in this church in South Carolina. They had younger families, and for some reason, God decided to say, I want you two people to become priests in the church. And I, I got this story from the other person there, I was one of them. I got the story from the other person that, you know, when, when they announced to the parish we had, we had done all the things we had to do and we finally got approved by the diocese, we're gonna head off to the seminary, they're gonna uproot us from South Carolina and send us to the wilderness of Wisconsin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was a lovely frozen tundra. <laughs> We went out ice fishing one time, they wanted to show that uh, the seminaries had to ice fish. The only people that showed up to learn how were all the guys from the south. <laughs> <laughs> the guys from the north knew better. <laughs> yeah. So we went up there, but, but before we left, um, and I, I heard this from the other, the other person who was sent, um, somebody approached him after it was announced that we were gonna go off and, and, and join, hopefully like make it through seminary and join the clergy. and and be these people that bring the light and the love of Christ and remind them of God's love for them. Um, Somebody came up to this other guy and said, are you sure you really want to do this at this time? At this time in the church? Because some things have been happening in the Episcopal church. And there were people who were really unhappy with the national church. And if you were in South Carolina you would know that the people of the Diocese of South Carolina were not just unhappy, they were downright angry with the direction of the national church and the national church leadership. And they were ready to light the torches and get the pitchforks and start a revolution. A very unhappy time in the church. And so I think this parishioner kind of recognizing that this is not maybe the best time to go into ministry with all this kind of unrest and... And all this that's happening in the church and, and all the things that they think are wrong with the national church, you really want to do this at this time? Maybe you want to wait for a better, more peaceful time to kind of say, Yes, Lord, send me. Or to become a follower, you know, like, well, I'm still mending my nets over here. Maybe I'll we just had a good haul of fish. Come and follow me. Well, maybe in a minute, right? Maybe next year. Come check again. So you heard that from a parishioner, and and then thankfully. There was a a senior priest, a retired clergy person, who had been in the trenches of the church for many decades, and had seen and heard almost everything you can see here. And thankfully, he had overheard what this person was saying, kind of cautioning this young person. Maybe you don't want to do this. Maybe you don't want to be a follower now. Wait until it's smoother sailing and smoother seats, and and, uh, that, that senior priest pulled him aside and said, don't listen to that person. The church has always been like this. The church has always been a broken institution. It's always been one where we argue with each other and we disagree and sometimes we divide ourselves. This is the darkness that's in the church. This is. And I look at that and I think, well, according to the scriptures, that's exactly the time to say yes. That's exactly the time when it's dark and things are bad. That's exactly the time that you say, "Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Let's do it now. Now is the right time. Now is the right time." You see, Jesus knows about the darkness. He knows about the darkness, and not simply because he was born at night. <laughs> Started thinking about that, about that thing about the star in the sky that, that kind of, you know, shines down and leads them the way. I, I think the light went the other way. I think the light radiated from him. It was like one of those, like, floodlights, those things in the, in the night sky, like spotting planes, right? That's, that's actually what I think happened. I think it was like radiating from him. That's how they found him, not shining down. Because he's the light of God who enters the darkness. And you might remember what happened after he was born when Herod found out there was a rival king. He sought to kill him. As an infant, Jesus and his family become refugees, running away from a violent king. And thousands of innocent children are slain. And I wonder if Jesus knew about that as he was growing up. Very violent circumstances of his birth. He knows about the darkness. Right before this story that we hear about him kind of going to the gathering of the Gentiles, the text tells us about his time in the wilderness, his testing in the wilderness. He's faced evil face to face. He knows the worst, and he knows the source of that darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He knows the darkness because this story tells us that his cousin John has been arrested. He's been in prison. <clears throat> See, John criticized Herod's marriage. And if you're going to get yourself put in prison and beheaded for criticizing somebody's marriage, what do you think Herod's going to do when you announce a whole new kingdom? Right? What do you think is going to happen there? See, because every time that light shows up, the darkness responds and tries to kill it. There's always that negative response. Whenever you see people trying to do things for peace and justice in the world, there's always some counter to that that tries to snuff that out. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome. Never. See, the darkness thought that it could kill Jesus. And Jesus was in that tomb for three days in the darkness. And the, the story tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, the clouds gathered, right? And it was dark and it was thundering and the, and the darkness thought that it had defeated the light and, 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 and Christ goes into the tomb. And then three days later, I imagine that Easter morning was bright and beautiful. And the tube was empty because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never, never overcome. And so Jesus, in fulfillment of, of Isaiah's words, Jesus knows that at this time of incredible darkness, that the right thing for him to do is to take that light that he is and all that he brings, all the healing and love, compassion, mercy, is to take all that and to go right into the darkness with it. So he goes to the right place, Zebulon and Naphtali, to those people that are living in the shadow of death. And it's right there that he calls people to follow him. Join me, join me. And it says that's where he starts his ministry. He starts showing what that light is all about, preaching the good news of God's kingdom, that God's kingdom has come, that there is a new way, a new way, in a new life, curing all their sicknesses and diseases right in the middle of that darkness. Right in the middle. That's where he is. And he says to us, come and fall. Come and fall. Come be with me and share in this work. And so whenever it's dark in our lives or in the lives of our family members, whenever there's that darkness, whenever, whenever that starts closing in on us and wants to destroy us, And make us not be the better angels we should be. That's exactly when we need that light of Christ. Right in that moment. That is the right time to do it. You know, in the book Revelation, that strange book that closes out Scripture, with all those weird images and, and all that kind of cryptic stuff and different ways of reading that and understanding what it is, Jesus is the Lamb that is the light of the city of God. In that city of God, there is no darkness. You don't need the sun by day, nor the moon by night, because that light is always there. Always there. And it tells us in that book something that's really important for all of us to remember, especially when it seems that the darkness is closing in. Especially at that time. There was a seminarian who loved playing basketball, but the seminary where they attended had no basketball court. Fortunately, there was a public school across the road. This is not about me. (laughs) I do like basketball, but this is not about me. Across the road, there was a public school that had a gym and a basketball court. And so the seminary would go over there all the time and and notice that there was an older gentleman who was perhaps the caretaker or janitor of some sort and, and watched the guy. He seemed to be a really humble guy. could tell... You know that he was a man of quite modest means and probably very little formal education, but he would say hi and they'd exchange pleasantries. And one day he noticed that that man was reading the Bible. Oh, well, that's pretty good. He's reading the Bible, and he, and he remembered. Well, we've been studying the Bible for a couple years now, getting into all the Hebrew and Greek and all the theology and all that, and, and figuring out that you know the more you study it, the less you know. But then you keep at it, right? You keep at it. So he, 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 he asked the guy, he goes, I see you're reading the Bible. He goes, yeah, I read the Bible. Well, what are you reading? He goes, well, I'm reading the book, Revelation. And that seminary knew, boy, that is a real strange one. That's a hard one to tackle. If you ever tried that, right, you know, right? That's a, that's a hard one to tackle and figure out. Reading the book, Revelation. And the seminary and having a couple of years of Bible study in Hebrew and Greek thought, oh yeah, right. <laughs> you a simple man. <coughs> so so you didn't say that, it's kind of a conversation in the head, but but he did ask the guy. So, so um, do you know what that says? And and that humble man said, Well, yes, I do. And he thought, oh yeah, right, sure you do. <coughs> oh, you do, huh? Well, 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 could you tell me? Because we've been studying, I don't, I don't know what it says. And the man said to him, Jesus going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus going to win. And I'll leave you with that. Jesus going to win. Amen.